VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Welcome. Welcome to Wednesday. I um, hope you're reasonably well. Um, I'm afraid I've already broken my no daffodils rule. I had to get some this morning. Oh, do you learn nothing? No, well, I did. It was from my neighbour and I just thought, I know she's really, because her sight's not too good and she can properly see those yellow trumpeting flowers. But you could still have bought them in I a know. pot plant yes, form. I, I know. Jane. I know. Jane. <sighs> okay. I t- well, I don't know what I can do about that, really. I did think about it, but she did really want them. I know they really cheer her up. So it's a tough one. It's yeah. Tough. I've actually got no plants left in my house anymore because of the naughtiness of Barbara. Not Brian, but Barbara. <laughs> Barbara's the cat. So, the kitten. Yes. She's only very young. She'll learn to love plants, won't she? Well, she's learned what to do with plants, certainly. Break which, them. Which is to break them, eat them, tip them over, and then use the kind of mounds of... Uh, compost and soil as an ad hoc litter tray. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yep. Okay. Whereas Brian is absolutely tickety-boo. What, is tip-top with a litter tray? Tip-top. Never pees in the wrong place. Oh, Brian. Marvellous. Yep. He is marvellous, I mean, there actually, are grown Jane. men called Brian who <laughs> yeah, can't achieve that. I know. So, well done. And, uh, yeah, but I've definitely got a messy barber on my hands, oh, Jane. Dear. Now, we unfortunately couldn't get to Wellness Wednesday today due to a, a communication issue. God, you're right, I've completely forgotten yeah, well, that. well, it's a long time ago now, yeah. but we do pride ourselves on having a gong every Wednesday and a wellness segment in which we attempt to sometimes shed light on the wellness issues of the moment. Um, and today's item was going to be about whether or not alcohol is good for your teeth, and I think we can probably well it's not it isn't no which is amazing to learn because we the truth is despite the occasional article saying a glass of red wine is good for your heart says bulgarian research by the bulgarian winemakers association of bulgaria um i think we do know that alcohol isn't terrifically good for anything very much um but i wanted to ask this guest and i'm just going to ask you now um (laughs) about cleaning your teeth before you eat apparently first thing in the morning you should clean your teeth before you eat breakfast i always thought it was better to eat breakfast first and then do your teeth but apparently I read the other day, and I can't remember where for the life of me, that eating breakfast before you've cleaned your teeth is the equivalent of putting a good new meal onto a dirty plate. Okay. Well, uh, um, in my position as Dr. Completely Unqualified Glover, I'm going to say that I always scrub my teeth as soon as I get up. 
I think just because I... Before you've had a mug of tea? Yes, yeah, before I do anything, yeah. Okay. Um, just because I, somewhere along the line, got taught the lesson, which I hope was true... Have you got gentleman callers coming as soon as you wake up? <laughs> no, no, darling. I haven't. <laughs> Just checking. No. Yeah, uh, because because you've got you've got rather nasty kind of um, you know open mouth sleeping bacteria. Oh, it's horrible. It's disgusting. But yeah. I still thought you were allowed that the medical profession and dentistry allowed you a mug of tea before you tackled anything. No, no I like to go straight into it. And actually, the, do you remember the mad spa that I went to, where they had leeches flown in from yeah. from Germany on a Tuesday? Leech, no, they had this whole thing. So the whole thing was just about cleansing yourself. I mean, to just the most ridiculous kind of levels. It still haunts you, doesn't it? It does. It really does, actually. There's a very good chapter in our book about this, we should say. There is that. I did forget something else in our book today, but that <laughs> I do remember. <laughs> you forgot some still particularly available. fine journalism. Should be entered for the new non-fiction prize, if you ask me. It's called, did I say that out? loud still available carry on please. so in the spa uh one of the things that they said that you should do as part of the cure uh, was to swill coconut oil around your mouth for five minutes when you woke up and then because it did something to the bacteria in your mouth mm. uh, and then scrape your tongue and your gums uh, before you did absolutely anything at all okay. and uh, i did neither of those two things uh, and i rather enjoyed my kind of slightly rebellious no, I think I'll just get my Colgate and my brush out and do my molars, thank you, you go, very much. You go, girl. Yes, At yeah. your spa, whatever it was. Uh, but as somebody who's listening to this, if anybody still is, uh, will be able to tell us whether or not you should have a meal before scrubbing your teeth. But there is that point that then, uh, you know, sometimes I do have to go back upstairs and have a little bit of a swill around with some mouthwash before coming to work, uh, you know, just because I don't obviously want the... I don't want to have... no. Breath on me. No, no, I, I agree. It's um, well, you never have, as far as I'm no. aware. So. And you know, if I've had my usual breakfast of uh, what my you kidneys your... you normally have, don't you? I have kedgeree and devil kidneys served in those great okay. big silver domes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Just as if. Um, now we did it. We had actually quite a serious conversation at the start of today's program. I mean, rightly, about um, Alice Thompson's brilliant piece in the Times today about uh, porn and what we should do about it and how we should start a proper conversation about it. And in the end, it always comes back to the same thing, which is there's just no good women writing about it and women talking about it. We've just got to involve everybody in a really honest and just unexpurgated proper exploration of what it's done to us as a. Is it? Too, I mean, it's probably not too much of an exaggeration to ask what it's done to Western society. Um, gosh, I mean, it sounds like, you know, it's a job for a much cleverer person than me. But anyway, um, and then we did have an absolutely... There is no such thing, Thank you, Jane. darling. We did have a delicious response from a listener who <laughs> wanted to tell us about how um, some women enjoy... But yes, we know! There's just something... It's just something about men who want... And they're not all men. Uh, <laughs> who want to explain us to ourselves. Thank you very much. Yeah, I couldn't. I'm sorry. I just, uh, you know, usually I'm I'm, I'm the more male welcoming part of this feminist no, even, duo. Even you, but even, even you I just bonkers. absolutely despaired about that. Yeah. Uh, yes, don't tell us what our pleasures are. We're all right, actually. Thank you. Uh, but yes, we do need to have more grown-up conversation. And I just really, really hope that happens. I would like to hear from women who've been involved in the porn industry, what it's done to them. I think their stories are very, very rarely heard. 
Uh, I would like to hear more from men who've had problems with porn because that is a massive thing. I remember going to do a mini documentary after all the Me Too stuff exploded. Mm -hmm. We went back to my old university. Uh, One of the saddest things that somebody told me was that the largest cohort of students who were seen by mental health practitioners on campus were to do with erectile dysfunction and addiction to pornography and depression caused by the inability to have relationships out in the real world. And they are men in their early 20s. Yes, and that's just so, so sad. So it's causing so much distress and part of that distress, I think, can be alleviated by having that more realistic conversation where we aren't dissolving into fits of giggles and we're just talking about it as a proper, you know, mental health problem, a proper physical problem for lots of people, especially, I think, involved in the porn industry. All of that stuff, Jane, it just needs to be out there, doesn't it? A quite interesting email, actually, uh, to uh, Jane and Fee at times.radio from Nicola, who says, I was catching up with your shows uh, while doing a backlog of ironing and I heard that email from a listener whose husband was in a WhatsApp group with some unsavoury content, so I thought I'd share my experience. My partner was also in a group with some old school friends, one of whom just kept sending jokes, photos and videos derogatory to women. My partner told him he was deleting the messages as they were inappropriate, but they just kept coming. My partner then told the whole group he was deleting the messages as they were coming to a work-owned phone and if they were found, he could lose his job. The messages still kept coming and no one else spoke up. So my partner had to leave the group and has now lost contact with that particular member. The group was an English group as my partner and I are British born and educated and migrated to Australia 25 years ago. And that leads me to a second point. Whenever anybody mentions Australia on your show, it is swiftly followed by an audible eye roll from the two of you who seem to be under the impression this lovely adopted country of mine is inhabited by Neanderthals. Not my experience. Admittedly, I live in metropolitan Sydney, but I work for a national company and have daily contact with people all over the area, most of whom are beautiful and decent human beings. Misogyny can happen anywhere, and I haven't found it any worse here in Australia than in the UK. Uh, And that is from Nicola, who has a rescue Kelpie called Annabelle, who wants to pass on her best regards to Fee's Nancy. Well, my Nancy accepts them gratefully and hands them back to you across the world. That's a good email. Uh, Keep them coming, Jane and Fee at times.radio. That's the one. (laughs) Thank you, sorry. Jane and I are about to go on our holidays tomorrow, not together, but we've got a week off uh, and sometimes that kind of... um, Why you keep up this not together business, I don't know. (laughs) You won't tell me where you're going in Bulgaria, but I'll find out. I will find out. Yeah, I feel that uh, we're definitely... Uh, entering the holiday mindset. Uh, either Fee or Jane mentioned the messy outnumbered house in today's podcast. That says was you, wasn't it? Yeah. An anonymous contributor. Uh, and enjoying the series in part because of it. I'm an American and I was a big fan of the show. I love this. On my last trip to London way back in 2012, one of my day activities was a pilgrimage to the outnumbered house, the location of which I found online. Of all of the touristy things to do in London, a trip to the outnumbered house should surely rank highly amongst them. And that's funny because I know where that outnumbered house is, actually. Yeah, weirdly, it's just in a part of town where some friends live and it's such a a nondescript road. I mean, it's a nice road, But there is, you know, there's nothing. There's no sign there or anything like that to show that they people can still they find filmed it. it there. Yeah, yeah. It's just a really bog standard uh, end of terrace north west London house. It's funny, right? I think every house in the world at the moment, uh, unless it's inhabited by you know an, an elderly 
Lady of the Cloth or something. The whole hall is just full of trainers. Yes. Uh, we, I mean, oh, God, we've yes. Been, there are three quite small women who don't always even live in the house that I live in. And um, we just have, I don't know, seven, eight, nine pairs of trainers. We've all got the same size feet. These bits of shoe wear are completely interchangeable and they just clutter the hall up. They do. And it does drive me insane. Have you not thought about installing some clever storage solutions, Jane? A shoe rack. Well... A storage solution. Oh, I don't know about that. Yep. I think some people do incredibly clever things, don't they, with bits of, of cupboard and wall that suddenly open to reveal trainer storage. <laughs> it's like people... Didn't your mum used to keep a telly in a cupboard? <laughs> oh, my mum's my televisions were never on display. No. If you think about the reason for having a television so you can watch it, mm -hmm. that didn't happen in our house. No. Our television was hidden, so but the, we still watched it. Did you, did you watch it? But you moved it out of its secret hiding place. Well, it was under... Or did you get into the secret place to watch it? Yeah, no, we, 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 got, it, we got into the secret place so we could watch it. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. it wasn't right to have a television no. on display. No, okay. Yep. just a bit common. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, these days you can have the same equivalent conversation about the size of telly and that's why I have such a small one because I'm trying to go up in the world. Well, you're doing very well. Uh, how many inches do you think yours is? Oh, mine's absolutely minute. It's, it's the smallest amount of inches you can have on a telly screen. It really is. And people do mock it. When you've seen it, people do mock it. Everyone, even my mum and dad said, you've got a very small telly. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. It's because I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to shin up the old class ladder. Yeah, but you're a television critic. Yes, you don't need a big telly for that. <laughs> Okay. You honestly don't. Uh, okay, shall we go into our fantastic interview today? Fantastic, not because of us, but because of the guest, uh, who just really, uh, I found her, a breath of fresh air is too much of a cliche. I found half an hour in her company invigorating, Jane. Well, she just, she did. She had a, a sort of special energy. Which she certainly did. Neither of us have got, that's for damn sure. Uh, and she's a really interesting woman. She's called Debrie Stevenson. She's a poet. She's a playwright. Uh, she's a former Mormon and um, she identifies as queer. And she's done something that, to be perfectly honest with you, I didn't really get until she began to explain it. She has remixed Shakespeare in particular. It's much ado, to be specific rather, it's much ado about nothing. And she's behind the National Youth Theatre's new adaptation of that Shakespeare play, uh, which is opening tonight, actually, it's press night, at the Duke of York Theatre in the West End of London. Um, so we asked her how you sell Much Ado About Nothing to a contemporary audience. Well, it's a show, so it was originally Much Ado About Noting, which yeah. meant Much Ado About Gossip. Right. And it is this romantic comedy about meddling and gossip and people falling in love and other people stopping people falling in love and the drama and comedy of that. And I, I really struggled with Shakespeare. I'm dyslexic. I really struggled with reading. And Much Ado was the play that got me in to Shakespeare. Okay, why? Because I, I just found it absolutely hilarious. And I think it resonates with that very human part of us that understands what it is to fall in love and to feel foolish and to feel silly and to feel funny and to feel all those obstacles. And I also have a bit of a guilty pleasure, which is these reality dating shows. And for me, in terms of contextualising it now, you know, Love Island is on right now, it just obviously felt like the meddling, the gossip, the different perspectives on what the love is and if it's right or if it's wrong, you know, it felt like, actually, that's what it's about. So you were charged with putting Much Ado About Noting through the kind of 21st century ringer. Yeah. How did you start? What was your starting point? 
you know what? I was a bit intimidating at first, I'll be honest, being super neurodivergent. Like I couldn't really read or write till I was like 11. And I learned to read and write through grime music, which is this form of rap, this emceeing that came from East London where I grew up. And the reason that grime worked for me is because it's this language that comes from the body, right? You're, you're making up words on the fly. I just speak to myself on my way home, right? This physicalised language. And Shakespeare, it comes from mnemonic techniques, memorising techniques. It's language that is made to be said with your whole body out loud. So when I started actually pulling it apart, I was like, this makes sense. This, this makes more sense to me in a way than a lot of other prose does because it has this rhyme, it has this movement. The engine is the body. So I just started cutting it up. I started copy and pasting. I started singing it. I started putting it to music. We've got dancing. We've got rap battles. We've, it's in the body. We got in an R&D, like a research and development with the young people, got them to start just messing around with it and giving them permission. You know, Shakespeare feels like this golden thing. Mm. And it feels quite sacrilegious. When I oh, watched absolutely. it yesterday, I kind of sat there smiling to myself and I was like, really? Are we, is this what I've done? Um, I think it's what Shakespeare would have wanted. I was going to say, I think it is. <laughs> have, you, have you cut out chunks of the original? It's, it's like pretty much half the length. Oh. You know, I think a big... As someone An incentive that, to go in itself. Yeah, yeah. As like a working class person that didn't necessarily grow up thinking I was allowed to be in a theatre, like what's a matinee? What are the stools? You know, all this language that you don't understand. A matinee, by the way, is a lunchtime show. The stools are the seats on the bottom floor. You're right, though, actually. Why? Why would anybody necessarily know, know what that, that means? Yeah. You know? Um, and I didn't grow up with that language or with that understanding. I grew up with the theatre that happens on the streets of East London, and believe me, there's a lot of drama there. Um, you know? Um, and I think a big barrier to access to someone that has ADHD as well, like is why do you want to watch a three-hour play? Does it ever... Have you ever left a three-hour play and thought, that was the right amount of time? <laughs> well, no, um, actually. We've never, we've never been to a three-hour play. Congratulations. For exactly that uh, t- tell us just a little bit more about your dyslexia, because you had a, a, quite a late diagnosis, yes, didn't yes. you? So you'd actually been through all of your school, <laughs> right to the end of secondary school and beyond before yeah. you were diagnosed. I was in my third year of university at Nottingham University, well, so I was 21 and I was told I had the clearest case of dyslexia my assessor had ever seen at that point. So, but You so, must have suffered, sorry for you, you must have <laughs> suffered while you were waiting for that diagnosis. Yeah, I mean, suffered. It's interesting language around this, isn't it? Like, yeah, there were a lot of barriers. But I think the, the education system, the way it's structured currently, you know, it didn't work for me personally. But actually what I did learn and things like Grime taught me is that I just had to learn how I learn. So it took me a bit longer to understand that. But once I did, I think there are lots of strengths that come. You know, dyslexics are massively overrepresented in NASA, for example. We're actually overrepresented in a lot of areas, you know, so it gives me strengths in a lot of places. Um, But I think, you know, obviously just things like the amount of emails I'm expected to read or how tired my brain can get from reading and writing every day. But I think I've, even like with this play, I've come to realise it's part of my process as a writer, my dyslexia, getting us up on our feet. You know, it's something quite anti-colonial, quite anti-establishment. No, get rid of the desks. And I did this when I taught at Nottingham University. They'd come in, no desks, everything's in a chair, Get up, start saying things, you know. We've only been reading and writing for a very short period of time. Language developed in the body, you know. Let's put it back. Mm. Once you had got your diagnosis, was there anything a little bit kind of uh, 
threatening about it. And I suppose what I mean mm. by that is if you've worked all your life mm. to get through stuff and then someone says, no, this is, this is actually who you are, does it make you feel a bit kind of unsure of everything all over again? The opposite in a way. Because so part of what makes my dyslexia diagnosis so clear is so um, things like... So my ability to speak out loud and communicate out loud is, like, in the top, top, like, less than 0% of the pop- population. You're very good. So thank that you. already. So yeah. if you imagine that's, like, me sprinting. I'm like a cheater when it comes to something like that, right? But then actually when I look at a page, it's like I hit a body of water and I can't swim. And suddenly I'm drowning and I have no idea, like, why... A minute ago, I was going at 100 miles per hour and now suddenly I feel like, you know, I'm suffocating. Um, it's that disparity that is quite frustrating for me, like as a child, for example. But also a, a teacher can often read that as laziness. Like, why are you so good at that? But you, you can't do this. Um, and there's also something I struggle with called abstract symbols and sequencing, which means abstract symbols being letters, sequences being words and sentences. Abstract meaning, if I don't know the context... I actually don't understand, which for me... Can you just give me an example of that? So, for example, I'll give you the opposite example, which is that in a poem, I think of a poem as like a bath bomb, right? I've got a great quote from you about bath bombs. Can I just quote this? Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Highly highly wrapped orbs of colour and scent, and when they hit the water, they explode into a galaxy of colour and smell. Exactly. That's what you said. That is a poem (laughs) to me. And I think something about reading a poem that's like you understand what that, glowy centre is that's like the writer knows what the intention of those words are right and I think that's why when I heard lyrics when I heard poems it was like that was my access point to language because they had the utmost context I've got to be honest and um, I'm going to say quite boldly perhaps that most listeners to Times Radio will not know a huge amount about grime fair so I want you to tell us about the first time you encountered it I mean your background is interesting you're from Ilford Mm -hmm. Uh, your family are from the Mormon community yeah and I'm afraid I don't know much about that either so tell me about what it's like to grow up in a in a Mormon household yes I mean, I can't speak for all Mormons, no, but um, but yeah, I mean, it's quite a strict version of Christianity. So no drinking tea, coffee, um, no smoking, no sex before marriage, all that fun stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's quite insular, I guess. Like, and it's quite, I often think of it as like, if, I don't know, Disney or something co-opted Christianity, they'd make Mormonism. It's kind of like the shiny, the Book of Mormon presents that very well. It is, you know, it's very much that. Um and and when I realised it wasn't for me for a number of reasons, you know, partly that I am queer and it's pretty homophobic, um, the religion, though it would deny that. That was definitely not my experience. I felt quite culturally homeless in a way, you know, because it is such an insular faith. And it felt like, OK, I'm not understood here. I'm not safe here in a lot of ways. I was getting really badly bullied at school at that time. And then I, my brother started bringing home these tapes from pirate radio prior radio stations or these stations that people set up and actually the police really couldn't understand why young people were setting these stations up it thought it must be because they're part of gangs or drugs and actually interestingly if you set up a pirate radio station crime statistics went down in those areas mm-hmm. because there were young people we didn't have money we were often being persecuted by the police often not in great schools we had art we had this music that we were inventing from nothing so is grime effectively is it british rap 
Um, we we call it um, yeah. You could call it that. You could call it rap. Yeah, yeah. I I, I really hope neither of my children heard me ask that. That's totally question. fine. Um, no, because <laughs> they won't have been impressed. But uh, yeah, for, we, we, for, we we shy away from like saying rap or saying like rappers. We say MCs because yeah. I think what's really important in UK culture, though the two are related, we have this migratory path from the West Indies, the Caribbean, and it has that sound system culture that came over to the UK that has really been a central part in the development of grime, specifically, it has real roots in that trajectory. Yeah. But you, you are white? Yes, yes, yeah, I am. I'm Italian and English. Right, and uh, have you been accused, I mean, and forgive me, if, I mean, no I worries. hope this is an uncomfortable question, but no, have no, no. you been accused of cultural appropriation? Of course, and I think that's a really, like, fair question do you know what I mean like I'm not from that background and I can't claim you know grime music the way black black artists and artists from that generation do and, and should be able to right because that is a part of their history in a way it's not part of mine um I would really say grime is black music and it's been predominantly created by black artists and is really important to credit like I said the Caribbean roots sonically and also um West Africa has had a real strong part in what that sound sounds like but also you know white have been, white artists and white working class class artists in particular have been really part of that journey and the cockney sound i think is a strong sound the east london sound is a strong part of that um and so i'd say i'm part of that journey in that way but obviously i can't claim the sound in a way that i feel black artists have right to and i think that's that's cool you know can you say, say things in your grime lyrics, and again, I'd use the same caveat as chain, you know, forgive me if that just no sounds worries. so fuddy-duddy, <laughs> uh, but can you say things when you're kind of uh, speaking in grime that you would feel uncomfortable just saying in normal language? Mm. And do you hear things in grime that you think, if someone just said that, yeah. it would be difficult? You know, I think one of the really important parts about grime and I think what probably initially attracted me to it is that it's like a really healthy avenue for rage. And I think actually we don't have that many art forms that can do that. Like there's a line in one of my poems that says, every love I know looks like a fight from a distance. And I think, you know, when I was 14, 15, queer, feeling culturally homeless, don't really have any friends, can't really read, like just sitting in a library listening to these tapes of people I've never met before say things that for some reason deeply resonate with me. Like, I was angry, you know? And I think so many of us growing up in that area at that time, and, you know, the black community that created that having even more reason to be angry at that time in terms of injustices being done against them, to have a healthy and productive outlet to express that. And it's not always easy for women to express anger, is it? Yeah, yeah. And did you find that helpful, that this gave you a verbal opportunity to, to get things off your chest? Yeah, yeah, totally, I would say that. Did you, uh, I mean, you say you struggled with dyslexia and you were clearly unhappy at home and you weren't entirely comfortable in the community. So were you someone who would shut yourself away in your bedroom and try to write? When was the first time you properly wrote something you now know to be one of your bath bomb poems? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, I have to really give credit to my mum on this, like she really perceived my brain being different. She's really great with kids and she bought me a lot of, well, she'd get me audiobooks from the library 
So I'd listen to like I loved okay. Roald Dahl and C.S. Lewis, and so my, I really come from a, an oral tradition of storytelling, and I think that's something I also really connect with in terms of when we talk about grime music. I think it comes from that tradition, though maybe geographically in the world it's from a different place. Um, so that real storytelling always was a thing for me. Um, I don't really remember the first time I put pen to paper, you know. Although I have loads of my notebooks from when I was like fourteen, fifteen. So I started repeating the lyrics out to myself. I remember memory memorizing a particular clash which is like basically a battle of words mm -hmm. you might say between two lyricists two wordsmiths between Ashley D, who's now the famous actor Ashley Walters yeah um, in So Solid Crew and Dizzy Rascal and just memorizing every single word every word to that clash I know and I just say it out loud and then I just started saying my own words out loud when that transpired to the page I think that was probably some diligent work of some English teachers in my secondary school, helping me work out how to do that without feeling the pressure of a, a teaching assistant next to me telling me everything I'd got wrong. Because um, I didn't tell anyone that I struggled with reading when I got to secondary school, because I just wanted to work out how I needed to do it. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop... Station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, just out of interest, we've got a good question for you here, um, Debrie. If um, a poem is a bath bomb, what is a play? <laughs> Asks a listener. Bubble bath? <laughs> Bath. I was going to say like a full Turkish bath. Maybe. <laughs> oh, maybe. With a full-on massage. And a plunge pool. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you knew you said earlier, this is what Shakespeare would have wanted. I really, I think you're absolutely right because the idea that his stuff can be reinvented yes. uh, for, I mean, when I went to see Othello a couple of weeks ago, it was full of sixth form students. Yes. It was wild. There was fantastic choreography. It's very violent. It's extremely bloody. But we were so engaged. Mm. And I imagine there's a real buzz in the Duke of York's theatre when Much Ado comes on. Oh my gosh, yes. And that's really what I wanted. Like we sat down with the, it's been so collaborative yeah. working. So it's the 10 year anniversary of the rep company at National Youth Theatre and they really champion like different routes into the industry. You know, I often feel like, man, why did no one see that I could have been an actor when I was 18? You know, because those routes are still really privilege ridden for most people. They don't have access yeah, well, to so that. Yeah, well, so tell me, who goes to the National Youth Theatre? I mean, I, I hope it isn't overwhelmingly white and middle class. It's, it's such an amazing mix. And, you know, it's people from all over the country. We've got ac ac like accents from all over and that's so, so rich. Okay. And I, it's really been a collaborative process of like 
how do you feel about Shakespeare? Like, let's, I really opened it up. Like, what is inaccessible to you? What do you not understand? And I think me being dyslexic helps as well. Cause I'll be like, what does that bit mean? <laughs> Just like permission to not get it and to not under, cause also there's this tradition of interpreting everything the way it has always been yeah, interpreted. Yeah, yeah. But I think to bring their perspective and say, actually, with this new lens of reality TV of 2023, like, what does that line mean to you? What does it mean to your character? What does it mean from someone from your background going to see this play, which maybe usually doesn't get access to see this play, you know? So that's been really, really fun. Can you just explain, because people might be thinking, I don't understand how this woman has got to where she is now from being this <laughs> rather disenchanted, slightly isolated figure at mm. school with the undiagnosed di dyslexia. Yeah. You did get to university, yes. so you triumph there. Yeah. Um, but now you're involved with you know souping up Shakespeare so so fill in the gaps for us yeah so I guess I started off as a as an MC. started off um doing that then that took me into poetry I actually was really lucky um a poet called Kayo Chingonyi who you may know um kind of saw what I was doing he loved Garage and Grime as well and he ushered me into the poetry world so I did that for a while and that really got me Poets like Jacob Sam, LaRose, Lem Sisse, Charlie Dark, some amazing artists kind of took me under their wing and the Roundhouse really championed me. In Camden. At that age, yeah. in Camden, yes. Yeah. So I performed there a lot, did their poetry slam. That then took me to, into academia. So I worked, at, I did my BA and my MA. Was really lucky the BA doesn't exist anymore at Nottingham University. It was in creative and professional writing and was in the Department of Education. So it had lots of mature students, lots of people from different backgrounds and for debris at 18 from Ilford to try and explain her experience to like Ishmael in her 70s from South Africa was like really great for me to meet people from other parts of the world and learn how we could connect. And I think that's become central to my practice as an artist is to bring people from worlds that might otherwise never meet and share an experience and a language. And maybe they understand different parts, but actually in that there is learning and enjoyment to be had. Then I went into theatre from that you know um that's I did Poet in the Corner which was my first play on the Royal Court which was a semi-autobiographical grime play which sounds terrible but I promise it was good it got very good reviews <laughs> um accidentally became a professional dancer somewhere in that, that can happen to any of us you know yeah. Yeah, at any moment <laughs> it is, um it's quite a career <laughs> um, you mentioned Dizzy Rascal there because yes. he was a hero of yours and yes. it's difficult isn't it watching a hero uh, fall from grace and yeah. he lost his appeal uh, this week on a conviction of assault yeah uh, I don't, I mean, it's not, you know, it's never on you as a fan or someone yeah. who, you know, looks up someone to, to, you know, take it on personally. But I think that there's sometimes a desire to say of convictions like that, that he, you know, his art would have reflected who he was as a person. Yeah. Do you agree with that at all? Did I you hear that, something in his lyrics that was misogynistic? I think that, that's so hard. And I have to say, like, a lot of the music forms I grew up listening to have, like, deeply problematic things about them obviously there's a lot of violence in grime like I'm not denying that mm. I think it gets a disproportionate amount of focus when it comes to the media attention on an art form that has revolutionized and a whole community of disenfranchised people to have amazing entrepreneurial careers and create fantastic art you know so I think there's a bit of a hyper focus on that part of the art form maybe similar to how we look at Notting Hill Carnival you know that's often we often focus on the crime statistics around that when actually statistically it's safer than Glastonbury so I think 
I feel a bit uncomfortable about that hyper-focus. Um, and I think it can be difficult when, you know, I really like dancehall music, which has a lot of homophobia within the lyrics. And, you know, as a queer person, that can be really difficult. Um, you know, there can obviously I don't condone his behaviour and I don't recommend that. Should that change? Does that mean I now question the revolutionary impact the work had on my life? Like, no, mm. you know, it's still... I think someone can do a very special thing and there be a human and also do bad things that I disagree with. Do you know what I mean? I think social media in particular pushes us to try and like make people a monolith and say, you did a bad thing, now everything you made is bad. Um, and I don't necessarily subscribe to that, but yeah. I definitely don't condone. Uh, life is full of grey areas, of isn't course. It? Yeah. Um, it does, it, and it gets even greyer as you get older, in every, actually, in literally every sense. And let's not forget that the other big music news story of the week was Delilah, often sung by Tom Jones, yep. being banned at rugby matches. Oh, wow, I didn't yes. know about that. Because it's a song about the, the domestic abuse and, and killing wow. of a woman. Yeah. yeah. That was our guest this afternoon, uh, the playwright and poet and grime artist uh, she still does a bit of grime that's Debbie Stevenson and we didn't get onto the fact she has an amazing family two really successful brothers one's big in computing and the other is someone who made a huge amount of money in the city and now sort of well not guards against it but talks about doing it Yes, and he campaigns uh, on the poverty gap, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's interesting. Yeah, what quite a family. A family. Yeah, yeah, quite a family. Um, interesting. The old Delilah Tom Jones thing. Yeah. Um, so who was it who said this week? I think it was um, some. It was a, a popular crooner anyway who came out, not Tom Jones himself, who came out and said, "Oh, you know, this is just a song in the old folk tradition, and there's nothing wrong with singing it." And I just thought, well, perhaps there isn't, or is there? Would I really heartily join in? with a raucous sing-song that featured the murder of a woman. I don't know. Um, yeah, I can't quite work it out because I just... It's a great tune. Yes, and I know that tune. most most people, um, there's just nearly everybody who has sung that song in the name of the spirit of sport at a rugby game, you know, with the fervour of wanting your team to win. You know, it's an amazing atmosphere. You know what it feels like to be in the stands when everybody is just gearing up and waiting for an amazing match. So they're not celebrating no. the murder of women when they're singing that. What they're doing is just all celebrating the fact that it's a great tune, it's got a soaring chorus. Yeah. Uh, they, they share a camaraderie in belting it out. I think... Most people won't even have ever thought about what the lyrics what are. The lyrics, no. But that doesn't make it right, because as soon as you do uh, realise what the lyrics are, it doesn't have all of those things. No. So that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. Once you know, you can't, you can't go back. Yeah. And you can't go back. Yeah. yeah, the thing that I don't quite understand is... Uh, is Swing Low Sweet Chariot, because I think once oh, you understand, understand anything either. about slavery... Like, what is it doing? At, then yeah. you shouldn't be doing that either. No. I but, mean, hopefully... Fingers crossed, unless you know different. Sweet Caroline, that's all right, isn't it? That's just about a sweet Caroline. But I hope so. Gosh, I really hope so. I like that. Yep. I didn't realise that Cracklin' Rose was about drink. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. I shall never sing that again. <laughs> OK. <laughs> You're it. on quite a restrictive playlist now, aren't you? <laughs>
that's not well that's been the story of my life to be honest um okay this is from louise um i'm writing after your interview with jojo moyes jojo was great actually wasn't she yeah i belatedly discovered her during one of the lockdowns when i got the giver of stars is one of the books my library chose for me aren't libraries amazing said louise yes they are and it was so interesting to hear about her research trips for the book I requested Invisible Child from my local library after hearing your interview with Andrea Elliott. I'm not sure I've ever read anything like it and I found it impossible to stop thinking about that family when I finished. That everything that happened to them happened despite the fact that a New York Times reporter was telling their story is astonishing. You know what, Louise, I agree. I have not been able to get Invisible Child out of my head either and it is one of those books that absolutely grabs you and never quite lets you go. Uh, so if you haven't already investigated Invisible Child, uh, see if you can get a copy of that from your local library. It's about, really, it's about the experience of one young girl growing up in poverty in New York, but there's so much more to it than that. It's brilliant. Oh, are you going to do the rest of it? Well, um, Louise just goes on to say, more author interviews. Um, could you talk to Ayobami Adebayo and Curtis Sittenfield when their newest books come out? Ayobami Adebayo's debut novel, Stay With Me, is the book I most frequently buy for others. I highly recommend it. Well, thank you for that tip. And I would love to hear an interview with Curtis Sittenfield as well, who is fantastic. Um, OK, um, Curtis, I think, is definitely coming on because she's written this new book called Romantic Comedy. Is she? Well, um, yes. Have you put in for her? I've, well, I've made it clear to her publicist that I'd like her to come on. Oh, and they sent me a copy. Did I not pass on? I only no. got one copy. I kept it to myself. It's called Romantic Comedy and it's a very. It's coming out in April. There's no I in team. <laughs> It's a book about um, a, com a woman who writes for what is, they don't call it Saturday Night Live, but I think that's what it is. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, so I think that would be really interesting. So, yes, we'll definitely do more on that front. We, 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 as you say, we are both readers. We love reading and we love talking to writers. Yep. I think, and uh, I think, actually, um, Ayabami Adebayo's uh, novel was mentioned by Mariella on her programme okay. today in conversation with Kate Moss. I've definitely heard Mariella recommend that too. Right. Uh, so we should try and book her. And, the, you know, the more writers, the better. We, we love a writer, don't we? I think yeah. we love a writer more than, more than an actor or, uh, well, that we don't really, we're not very good with the actors. And sometimes we're not very good with the screenwriters. <laughs> That's... Well, uh, I'm sure I don't know what you're referring to. I was, before nine o'clock, I'd made Nigella's cauliflower soup again this morning. Oh, I know. How do I do it? People say to me, Jane, take me inside your life. You hand wash bras, you make soup, and it's not even light. Although, of course, it is now. And that's, I think we're both kind of on the turn just because. <laughs> I'm not on the turn. I've been on the turn for years. Uh, the, it's so much lighter and brighter. And the weather in London, I hope, and I hope for the rest of the country too, it's just been this, it's been cold but this brilliant bright sunshine for the last four or five days and it makes such a difference so you wake up in the morning when yeah. it's glorious bright sunshine and yeah. the first thing you think of is i'll go and make some cauliflower soup i don't like waste and i had a cauliflower that needed using okay and did you scrub your teeth before or after eating the cauliflower soup for breakfast? No, I didn't eat it. It's oh, for tonight. Okay. Oh, I, oh, I see. Oh, that's all right. I thought you were making soup for the morning. I thought this is just, I need to stage an intervention. Do you think I live on some sort of prairie? <laughs> it's like Little House on the Prairie. Yes, that's, I live in Little House on the Prairie. Um, I make a big terrine of soup. 
eat the whole thing before nine o'clock and then just spend the rest of the morning hand washing bras and then come into the times yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's great that's my life but you've forgotten i think if you were living in little house on the prairie uh, you'd have to do a lot more chores than that and at some yeah. stage you'd have to plait your hair and put on an a-line dress well i think plaiting my hair would have been a challenge <laughs> then as now yeah. So I wouldn't have rated my chances. Right, enough of this nonsense. We'll take you soup recipes. We'll take you stories about how to cure the world of misogyny, violence against women and a disgusting epidemic of porn. Uh, and we've got one more day to go before our holiday. And then Callum and Chloe yes. are sitting in for us on the show. Yeah. Uh, and they'll also be here in the podcast feed with a big interview every day. Which is brilliant. Uh, and we look forward... I might listen to that on my holiday. Uh, and uh, we should say thank you to Eve as well, who's manning the podcast today. She's got a pavement to fall off tonight, so we better say goodbye. She's just on a rather wan wave. Are you hungover? <laughs> yes, she is. Uh, right. <laughs> These young people, I don't know what you do with them. Have a good evening. You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live, uh, then you can Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times radio. Yeah, embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com